Good morning. We are in this series titled, None Like Him, a study in the character of God, and this morning I want to look at another characteristic called God's, the fact that God is eternal or His eternality, right? The fact that God is eternal. And my challenge, as has been, says on that brief video in each of these weeks, is how can these truths, which seem to be very, um, you know, uh, big and almost abstract or hard to put our hands on, how can they change the way that we live, right? That God is eternal or God is self-existent. I had this friend said to me last week, which was encouragement, and said, you know, um, when, you, when you announced this series on the character of God, I thought, oh, like, that is so, it's going to be so heady, which by I think that was a nice way of saying boring, right? <laughs> But they said, uh, you know, he said, but you know, it really has not been that. It's really been um, very helpful for me. So I hope I can, uh, that will be true today as we look at this idea. God is eternal, right? He has no beginning uh, and he has no end. How can that change the way that we live? Psalm 90 is our main text. If you have a copy of the Bible, open up. Psalm chapter 90, or the 90th Psalm, right in the dead middle of your Bible. If you have a hard copy, right in the middle, uh, near the end of the book of Psalms, but the middle of your Bible. And we will read, not the whole Psalm, but most of it. Some selected verses, 1 through 4, then 10, then 12 through 17. Psalm 90, at least it says here, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turned back people to dust, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures, yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God is eternal. First thing I want to say, sort of the truth, to restate this truth, is God created time, but he exists outside of it. I think that's what, what Moses is trying to say here. Before the mountains were born, this is poetry, but he's making also a point. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the whole world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Jesus will say at the, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega using those, you know, those Greek letters, those, those ideas of beginning and end, says the Lord God, now listen to this, who is and who was and who is to come the Almighty, right? This is what he says. This is what the truth is, that God is simultaneously, okay, mind bender here, 
He is the God of the past, the God of the present, and the God of the future all at the same time. Right? To quote Jen Wilkin, whose book I've been reading, she said this, The past holds for him no missed opportunity, the present no anxiety, and the future no uncertainty. Right? Now think about that for a minute. The past for God holds no missed opportunity. The present holds for him no anxiety at all. And the future holds for him no uncertainty at all. If that's true, then, back to our title, he's nothing like us, right? I mean, for all of us, I think I can speak for all of us, the past holds missed opportunities and regrets. The present is full or in, in, infused for many of us with anxiety and our future with uncertainty. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. A poetic way of talking about life. Yet the best of them are trouble and sorrow for they pass away and quickly uh, fly away. Now listen, I can't prove this to you, right? We were doing a little study yesterday morning in this thing we do on Saturdays. You're all welcome to come. But there was a, uh, you know, one of our PhD physicists was in the room. And, he, and I see, joked with him, Dave. I said, you know, we, we, nobody could explain the eternality of God. No great theologian, no great scientist. I don't think Moses is trying to explain it here. I can't prove it to you. But what he is doing in this psalm and this beautiful piece of poetry is inviting you into a response to make God's eternity, or because of God's eternality, to make resources, his resources, more available for your life. That's the point of this brief sermon. Now, what's the essence of how you do that, right? Moses is writing scripture here, saying, listen, God is eternal. Before the mountains came, he's from eternity, eternity is the beginning, he's the alpha and the omega, he was, he is, he is to come, he is the God with no beginning, but we are, in contrast, we're a moment in time. If you remember the verse from James, you know, famous passage, James chapter 4. What is your life? It is a mist. It is a vapor, relatively speaking, that appears for a time and vanishes away, right? It vanishes away. Saying, listen, we are, we are nothing. Well, what do we do in response? How do we do it? And he gives you in one verse, which I want to tease out in these minutes. Teach us, therefore, because I don't live forever, because I have very little influence on the past, I have no influence on the future, I'm just trying to live my life and have meaning. Teach me to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And then there's three things. I'll just highlight them and we're going to move on. But three verbs that are packed into this great invitation and this, 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 inv this, this desire to say, how can we make meaning out of our lives? How can we live in the present and not be robbed by the guilt of the past or the uncertainty and the what-ifs of the future? How do we do this? He says, gain a heart of wisdom in three things. Do you have the passage? He says, the three verbs. First one is satisfy. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That's the gospel. Satisfy. The second verb is that we might sing and be, make glad all our day. He talks about joy, satisfaction in the love of God, his unfailing love, not mine, not yours, not your spouse's, his unfailing love. The joy that we'll see in a minute that comes from God only. Make us glad as we sing for joy. And then ultimately, verse 17, establish the last verb, the work of our hands. Only in a relationship with an eternal God can we do something in our lives that will outlast us. 
That's what he's talking about in this last verb. Second point, heart of the message. One, God created all time but exists outside of it. Two, trusting God with time, all of it, uh, we, we, means making the most of the time we've been given, right? That's what he's really, that's what he's saying. Teach us to, he, teach us to number our days. It's an old way of uh, Testament of saying Make Realize that you are finite. Realize that your life isn't going to go on forever and, and don't waste your minutes, your hours, your days, your month, your years, you know, mulling over the missed opportunities of the past or the what-ifs of the future, which frankly a lot of us do, Right? We need to trust God with all of time. The guy, he's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future, mine too, so that we can make meaning the most out of the time we have been given. Now, how do you do that? What he's really saying is we need to know how to face life, right? Not avoid it, not medicate it, right? We need to face life and do something with it, not waste it, not avoid it. That's what he's really taught. That's what it means to have a heart of wisdom. Couple things, right, by application. How do you do that, pastor? How do we do that? Ready? First one, we need to let go of the past, okay? In, 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 in a real way, and this passage teaches us how to do Satisfy in the morning with your unfailing love. See, the past is not just full of missed opportunities, right? I could name a lot of them, right? I mean, I'm older than some, and some are older than me, but I could, it wouldn't take me long to write out a list of missed opportunities, things that I let sail by in my life, but it's not just missed opportunities or even regrets. Yes, I have those, but it's the guilt that's associated with those missed opportunities. It's the guilt associated with those uh, uh, regrets. It's the guilt and the shame associated with some of those mistakes and some of those sins that I carry around with me. And what, we're, what, what, what Moses is trying to say, I think what Jesus was trying to say, and the New Testament writers will try to say is, listen, you can be living you know, biologically in the present, but spending a lot of your time, a lot of your energy in the past, Right? In the past, because we're carrying around guilt with us. And he says, listen, make us glad, that's joy, for as many years as you have afflicted us. Right? What does that mean? See, we, we often, people often, seldom, I should say, connect sin in our lives and mortality. We don't connect these two, so we keep on doing stupid things that are self-destructive to our life. God's response to sin, right? It's a moral universe, God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, we shall reap. It's a moral universe. But we, God's response to sin is ignored. We explain away the trouble and we focus on our suffering. The truth is all have sinned and come short of the glory. We all have sins. We all have failures. We all have regrets. And we carry them around with us. And in that way, we live in the past, right? We live in the past. And what the advice is, is listen. How do you not live in the past? Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing. That's the gospel. I hope you preach the gospel to yourself every single morning. Now, this morning, I got up and used these very words because I was thinking about it. But I try not to spend, to have too many minutes go by in my day where I'm not reaching to the, to the resource of God's forgiveness, where I'm not reaching to the gospel, the love of God, and say, God, I, I have issues. Uh, my past is reaching into my present. Satisfy me with your unfailing love, right? That's the only way you're going to be released of the things that keep you in the past. We need to let go of the past. I was... Um, 
I walked into Starbucks this week, uh, uh, you know, which I do a couple days a week. But anyway, uh, and I saw Jack Stavursky, one of our leaders there, and he was standing, was you know, a lot of people in there, and I, I uh, was going to say hi to him, but I didn't know the guy he was with, so I didn't say anything to him. I didn't want to interrupt him, and, and I saw him later, and I said, hey, Jack, I saw you there, and, and I said, uh, and he said, yeah, it was great. I said, I was with a guy, I mentioned his name, he said, he was an old friend of mine that I haven't seen in a while, catching up with him, and they'd spent decades working at Eastman Kodak together, and they've just reconnected. And I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, it was so interesting. And, 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 you know, Jack's life has changed a lot over the years. He's, you know, come to know Christ. He went to seminary. He's now on our staff. And he said, the guy said to me, he goes, you know, he said, um, you're not the same Jack Stavursky that I used to know, right? Jack Stavursky, a man of the cloth. And Jack said back to him, you know what? Smiled and said, Jesus can change anybody. Right? Isn't that a great story? Here's what I know about me. And I said to Jack, we were joking, you know, none of us ever feel like we've arrived, right? But some of us need to get out of our little bubble and talk to some people we haven't seen in a while because this is what I know. I am not who I will be, this pastor, but I'm not who I once was, right? I'm not who I once was. You need to let go of the past, right? Some of us are dragging it around with us. And the only way to do that, okay, it's not a pill, it's not a bottle, it's not a TV show, it's not a, you know, a, 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 a time at the gym, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. That's the only way to let go of the past. Number two, you need to let go of the future. You need to let go of the future. Listen, if I hear one more, if I read one more newspaper article, if I read one more, you know, see one more documentary, one more statistic about how anxious we are as a culture, we are un not only the richest nation, the most materially wealthy nation on the earth, even the poor of us in this room, we are not only the most materially wealthy, listen, we have more material wealth than any time, any culture in the history of the world as a people. But here's the interesting thing about that. We are materially wealthy. We have so much. But at the same time, we are exponentially more than ever anxious as a society. Very, I was at the uh, um, Campus Crusade thing Friday night with some of us here and John Amaya, who leads Rochester in the state of New York, and they were talking about college students. I think there's 30 million college students in the country, 60,000 in Rochester, and they did this survey of statistics. You know, do they, have they lost their faith, and do they feel this way, and what do they have about these? And one of them was, do they feel anxious or have panic issues? 80-something percent that took these statistics said, in the college students, said they had high anxiety in their lives or issues with anxiety. Why is that? I can only guess, you don't need to be a, a, a scientist to know this, because we've put our value in things, right? We've come to understand nothing wrong with having things, but we've transferred our hope into these things, and in these things, we, we think two, one of two ways. We never have enough of things, and we're afraid that someone's going to take them, they're going to be lost, they're going to be destroyed, right? And we're very anxious as a result. We're living in the what if, right, of the future. We spend lots of money and lots of energy worrying about the future, worrying about what we have or don't have. And in the end, all we have is anxiety to show for it. The only truly effective antidote to anxiety, right, is to trust your future to God. And by that, I don't mean your golden years. 
I mean your tomorrows. Jesus' words, Matthew 6. Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Think about that just for a minute. Slow down. It's part of a great sermon on anxiety, right? He says, listen, can you add, he's using this as sort of a metaphor about your height, but can you add, a, or, or time, a single hour to your life or an inch to your height by worrying? The obvious answer is no. But how much time do you spend, just think about today, how much time, I'm not saying that you think about what you're going to do tomorrow and you plan your day. I'm not talking about everyday stuff. I mean worrying about the what-ifs of your job, of your health, of your marriage, of what's going on in the world. How much time do you actually eat up doing that, right? It's a waste of time. The only anecdote to anxiety is to trust God with your future. Finally, what, really, what it really means to present a heart of wisdom, the real takeaway this morning is we need to live fully today. That's what Moses is saying. Teach us to number our days that we can gain a heart of wisdom. What I'm basically saying to you is unless you, can, unless you have a relationship with the God who's not only the God of the past, capital P, the God of the present, capital P, and the God of the future, capital F, but he's the God of your past. He's the God of your present and of your future. Unless you live that, that, with that kind of God, you're never going to have a heart of wisdom. You need to live fully today. Just look at one passage as we, as we round this message out. It's a parallel passage in the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, okay? Ephesians 5. The Apostle Paul is really building off these very words of the 90th Psalm. Listen to these words with me. Parallel passage. We need to live fully today, fully today, in the moment. What would it be like for you or me to live a full 24-hour day and not think, be, not think about anything in the past coming in, any guilt or shame or regret, and not think about any of the what-ifs of the future? Because not only is that robbing you of a quality of life, here's the big idea, it's robbing you of the experience of God in your life. Now, God doesn't love you any less when you're distracted. God doesn't love you any less when you're checked out. But your experience with God's love is very different. That's what it is. A heart of wisdom is a, is a heart that understands I'm going to allow the past. I'm not going to live in the past. I'm going to let go of the past. And I'm not going to be anxious about the future. I'm going to live in this moment. And when I do that, I experience God's love at its greatest measure. That's what Moses is saying. That's what Paul is saying here. Be careful. Very careful than how you live. Now, he's talking to Christians. So just because you're a Christian in this room doesn't mean you get it. doesn't mean that I get it. It doesn't mean that, boom, I'm off on this new path. No, not at all. Many people who are Christians are going to go to heaven when they die, end up in a ditch in their life. All right? It happens all the time. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise. I might have a heart of wisdom. But as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil, right? The days are evil. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dark world out there. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's what a heart of wisdom is. Do not get drunk with wine, on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's interesting. In this passage, the same big ideas that you saw in Psalm 90 about wisdom having a wise heart, about singing, which is about joy, and about significance in life. Lord, establish the work of our hands. That's, that's the Old Testament way of saying, make my life matter beyond my days on this planet, that I might understand what the Lord's will is. That's what a wise heart. Both passages are a warning against a wasted life where you will miss God's will, therefore do not be foolish and understand what the Lord's will is, and you will let the opportunities of the present sail by. Okay? That's what both passages are challenging us. Said another way, okay? we allow the depression, big word, that arises from unresolved guilt in our lives or the anxiety that rises from a focus on the future to rob us of a more vital connection with God today. Okay, that's the big idea. The only person who has the ability to redeem your past, right? To, to, to you know, to, to, as, as I think in the book of Romans says, to redeem the, the years that the worm has eaten, right? The only person who has the ability to redeem your past or to secure your future, future is God, but you need to meet him in the present, right? That's what Moses is saying. That's what Paul is saying. Now, how do you do that? How do you do that, Pastor? Let me say this, this passage, right? I'm building on a lot of wisdom uh, from some people that I've listened to. The heart of the Christian life, right? The very heart of it, you know, the, 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 the juice at the heart of the orange of the Christian life is joy, okay? That's what we're looking for. Not non-Christian. I would say all people are looking for joy. We're all looking for it in unhealthy ways and in healthy ways, in, you know, in moral ways, in religious ways, and in immoral ways. And almost all of those ways will not produce lasting satisfaction. In this passage, ask yourself this question. He's talking about a heart of wisdom. He's talking about understanding the Lord's will. And then he says, in one verse, he talks about alcohol. Do not get drunk on, where did that come from? And then he instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why does he talk about alcohol and the Spirit of God in the same passage? I think he does this because, in a sense, they're both means to the same end. Okay? That is, what people are looking for when they go to, not just alcohol, but in, in Paul's day, alcohol was, was ubiquitous. It was, the, the, you know, who knows? You know, half the culture was, was drinking. Uh, it, it, was, it was a big problem in the first century, is in our own day. Now we have other drugs that go alongside with it. Okay? But in Paul's day, it was a big problem. But really, why he brings them together, so he's, he's talking to his audience but they're looking for the same thing. They're looking for a kind of joy that's at the heart of life that says, listen, I want to I I break from the guilt of the these, these ideas that keep coming in, that creeping in about yesterday, the regrets, the missed opportunities, and all of the things I don't know that are coming around the corner, the, 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 uh, the, the future. What if this? What about my health? What about my money? What about my job? What about my marriage? I just want to break. I want peace. I want joy. Okay? He's saying, listen, they're both means to the same thing, but Martin Lloyd-Jones, 
who was, no one perhaps would know him, but famous British pastor, but he was also a medical doctor, and he, he, was, he lived uh, until the early part of the 20th century, but he wrote this commentary, and he said this. He said about this pastor, he said, listen, alcohol is a, um, is a depressant, right? So, by the way, is heroin. If you read last Sunday's paper, front page of the, New, of the Democrat and Chronicle, and so is marijuana. But here's what depressants do. It doesn't mean it depresses you. It may do that. That's not the point. It, it, it said depressants do this. They slow the messaging of the systems from your brain to your body. And the primary reason, Jones said, that people who habitually use drugs, isn't that, I'm saying every time you take a drink, habitually use drunk, right? Because he's talking about drunkenness here, not drinking. But who habitually use it, they do that to make themselves less aware of their feelings and less aware of their problems, okay? That's what they do it for. So they, because why? Because they want some joy. They want to break from the guilt of the past and of the, you know, the, the what ifs of the future. So they, Drink, or they get drunk in this case, to make themselves less aware of their problems. He said this, the Spirit of God, however, why does Paul put him in the same verse, is actually like a stimulant, right? Not like a depressant. Because it doesn't make you less aware of your problems. That's not the point. A Christian is not someone who buries their head in the sand. Oh, life is all wonderful. There's no problems. There's no negativity. No. A Christian is not someone to, he said the spirit is not, God doesn't give you the spirit to make you less aware of your problems, but more aware of your resources so that you can face life and you can deal with the missed opportunities and the regrets of the past through the love of God, satisfy me with your unfailing love. And you can trust God with the what-ifs of the future and you can face the future, you can face it with the all eternal, all-living God within you, right? He makes you aware of your resources. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns, the Bible, and songs from the Spirit, sing, it's not just about singing, guys. It's about joy. That's the point. And make music in your heart from the Lord, always giving thanks. What are you giving thanks for? For his great love, right? That's the resource that you're getting. In God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jones said this, if it were possible, Martin Lloyd-Jones, to put the Holy Spirit into a textbook of pharmacology, I would put him under the stimulants. He stimulates our every faculty, the mind, the heart, and the will. The Spirit conveys the presence of Jesus and heightens our attention to who God is, his love, and his purpose. Establish me, uh, or satisfy me with your unfailing love. Establish the work of my hands. You know, as a, I'm, you know in this, this series about learning about the character of God, I want you to know I'm right there with you, right? I mean, pastors, they may not tell you this and be honest with you all the time, but sometimes the reason we pick series X or series Y is because we're working out our own problems, okay? And we just assume you're with us. And this whole idea of who is God, right? My, what my life looks like is all about response to who God is. Who is God? In the, in the, in the smaller and the, and the more imperfect God is in my mind and my heart, the more I'm going to live a less than life, right? In the bigger and truer that God is, the more, the more I see him for who he is, the more my life is going to respond. I'm going to thrive, right? So I want to get to know him. And one of the things I've been challenged with 
is this idea, and I was just reading about it this week, about, you know, why does God, um, there's so much talk in the Bible about God, the, God praising uh, the praises, not only that God is, is committed to his own glory, right? The glory of God, the glory, but he's committed to you and I praising him. And I have to admit, I've always had these moments where I think, I don't, I'm not sure I get it. You know, there's so much focus where God is committed to his own glory and in encouraging and inviting us to be committed to his own glory. That's what the whole book of Psalms is about. Now, I was reading this, it was very helpful, John Piper's book, Desiring God said these words. I was on a plane. In fact, the planes this Tuesday, right? God is the one being in God is the one being in all the universe. Listen carefully. For whom seeking his own praise is the ultimate loving act. For him, self-exaltation is the highest virtue. When he does all things, quote, for the praise of his glory. He preserves for us and offers to us the only thing in all the world, here's the big word, that can satisfy our longings. God exalts himself, not for his sake, but for ours. So we can take ourselves out of the past and out of the future and be lifted to the only one who is worthy of praise. We praise what we enjoy, this could be true of art, anything, because the delight is incomplete until it's expressed in praise. If we were not allowed to speak of what we value and celebrate what we love and praise, what we admire, our joy would not be full. So if God loves us enough to make our joy full, he must not only give us himself, he must also win from us the praise of our hearts. Not because he needs to shore up some weakness in himself or compensate for some deficiency, but because he loves us and seeks the fullness of our joy that can be found only in knowing and praising him, the most magnificent of them all, right? Why does God, why, why do we need to know God for who he is? Why do we need to praise him for who he is? Why do we need to be, be, be satisfied with his love? Why do we want him to sing for joy? Not to make him any different, not to add something to him, but to lift us out of the past, to lift us out of the what if in the future, and to experience the joy of God that can only be found in him, right? That's what he's saying. Now, I was reading this passage, funny story, on a plane, and I get off this plane, it's, like one, it's almost one in the morning, and I get my little, and I'm thinking, I'm, I feel like I'm having a little bit of an aha moment, I get it a little more, God. You're calling me out of the past, out of the future, into the present to worship you. Yes, you're worthy. Yes, you created me. Yes, you're eternal. Yes, you're the boss. But it's in you that I find joy. I am most satisfied in, 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 in him when I give him glory. And, and yes, he gets praise, but it benefits you. It benefits me. It's the joy I'm looking for, right, in everything else in life. And so I'm thinking about that. And I get into this Uber driver car. It's almost one in the morning. In this guy, you know, he's, we have a little conversation, and he's, he's, uh, he's from uh, West, uh, Af- East Africa, and we have this little conversation, you know, it's kind of, you know, often you, he tells me a story, he's been here for a few years, and he was from Eritrea, and I asked him a few questions, and, and after our conversation ended, you know, about five minutes or so, it was quiet, and then he did something that was just, I thought was strange, especially for one o'clock in the morning, he turned the radio on, and he turned it up really loud, right? And, and it was a song that I'd heard before, 
and I had, to, I had to go back and look up the lyrics, but I could almost sing them. But I'm telling you, and you, I don't say this much if you guys listen to me, like, you know, God spoke to me. It was almost like God spoke to me, right? These were the words of the song, loud. It was just me and this guy, I'm in the back of the car. You call my name, oh so sweet, to make your kiss incomplete. When your mood is clear, you do this. Then quickly you change your ways. Then you say, I'm untrue. Well, what am I supposed to do? Be a fool who sits alone waiting for you? If you really love me, won't you tell me, right? You know who that song is? What? Anyway, I knew it right away. It was the words of, it was the voice of Stevie Wonder, okay? But I really felt, for me in the moment, it was God, right? In other words, you're, 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 you make your kiss incomplete when your mood is clear, right? Then you change your ways. Then you say, I'm untrue. And God says, what am I supposed to do? Be a fool and sit around waiting for you? If you really love me, won't you tell me? Now, I don't do this very often, but I mean, I was, I was having this moment and I wake up the next morning, and I'm still, I'm, and I'm, I'm singing the song, but I'm really truly thinking about my God. And I, I never sing in the shower, but I mean, I'm the kind of guy who's in and out of the shower in 60 seconds, right? But I even had my, you know, uh, little whatever you call that, my speaker, and I'm, I had this thing up cranked full blast, right? I'm having a moment singing in the shower, just enjoying these words, but I'm thinking about, you know, letting God know how much I love him and how thankful I am for him. And the funniest thing, I forgot I lost a day because I was out of town, and all of a sudden, in the middle of this shower, all of a sudden I realized, it's not Tuesday, it's Wednesday, and the drywall guys are supposed to show up. <laughs> and it's already about 8.15, I thought, I froze, and I thought, oh my gosh. I am singing the top of my lungs, the, the speaker's up full blast, and these guys you know, they always joke about me being the pastor. I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get out of this, right? <laughs> so I put my towel on, walk out to the window, you know, just to make sure. And I, I'm th I just, one of those Nehemiah prayers, God, please tell me these guys are not here. And I open and thank the Lord they, had, they were not there yet. And we need to live fully today, guys. And the only way we can do that is to make a decision. It's work. It's work, right? You need to be wise. Be careful how you live. Listen, if you just walk, go through the motions, you're gonna be like everybody else. Not as unwise, but as making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You wanna know what the Lord's will is? You need to open yourself up to the God of the past who has no missed opportunities. The God of the present who has no anxiety, and the God of the future who has no uncertainty, and you need to make him the center of your life. Not so you can avoid life, not that you can, you can push away your problems, but that you can face them with his power, with his forgiveness, with his love, and actually make a lasting difference with your life. Amen? Amen. This is the guy the person, the God we need to invite into our lives. Let's just have a word of prayer. We'll be done. Ready? I want to encourage you to invite this God into the center of your life. 
You have to do it every day, but let's do it today. If you're a Christian in this room, you'd say, listen, Pastor, I want to invite the eternal God, he's already my Savior, but to be at the center of my life this morning. If you want to do that, I mean, as Mark this morning, raise your hand right where you are. Yeah, amen. Let me pray for us. I praise you, everlasting God. You are over all time, including my past, my present, and future. Help me to anchor my life, neither in the past or in the future, but in the present with you. Give me a heart of wisdom that I might know your love and your will for my life today. Amen? Now, heads bowed, eyes closed. Let me just say this. If you walked in this room, and you might have been in church before, but you do, you've never invited Jesus Christ into your life to satisfy the guilt and the shame. You want true relief, true joy. Not joy you're going to get in a bottle, not joy you're going to get in an accomplishment, but in the relief of your sin. Satisfy me in the morning with your unfailing love. If you've never opened your life to him, I want to give you the chance to do it right here, right now. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. All you need to do is ask for it. If you really love me, won't you tell me? So I want you to pray a prayer right where you sit, quietly in your own heart, simple as pie. God, thank you for sending your son into this evil world to die for my sins, to pay for my sins, and to rise with a new life I want that life today. I open myself to that gift of life today. And I thank you for what you have done for me. Come in and be my Savior and my Lord. Now, if you prayed that prayer, do not be ashamed of it. It's the best thing you ever did. I want you right now, where are you? Just to raise your hand. I just want to pray for you. Wherever you are, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, thank you across this room. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you for these folks in this room. Lord, the best thing I ever did, the best thing I ever did was to open my life, to, get, to face life in all its complications and mistakes and to open and, 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 and to trade my sins for your love, for your grace, for your forgiveness. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room uh, that just open their lives to you. May your spirit speak to them. May you make yourself known to them. Lord, may this be the beginning of a new way of life that's not lived in the past, that's not lived and in, in wasted in the future, but is in the present with the God of all power and all knowledge of us. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let me say, stand to your feet. Let me send you out and say a couple quick things, okay? Number one, if you, if you prayed to receive Christ as your Savior, listen, this is the opposite of ashamed and embarrassed. This is like you, this, this, this is a, getting married and having a baby is a, is, a, is a long second to making Jesus the Lord of your life. So I hope you're going to tell somebody about it. I hope you'll come right down here right now and tell me about it. 
because we'd like to help you take a next step in how to grow, get, get into the word of God. Let me say this second. You might want to decide you want to demonstrate a commitment in baptism, right, which is publicly stating what you've privately decided, right, that is to make Jesus the Lord of your life. You're saying what baptism is is a, is a public way of saying I've made Jesus the Lord of my life. Identify with his death and resurrection. That's why you go underwater. It's, it's mimicking, in a way, what he did for us. And if you made a decision to receive Christ, you know what? You know what? This is how the New Testament works anyway. They believed and they were baptized, right? We'd love to celebrate that with you next Sunday. But you need to let me know. You need to let someone in our Welcome Center or Belong Center know. You can even do this online, but hey, let's do it. Amen? Amen. All right. Have a great Sunday.